I speak to you this day in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. We all have been in situations where we've been asked to pray aloud at the face of a tragedy or unspeakable reality for which people look at us to voice our con concern audibly to God on their behalf. Okay, maybe this type of concern is not always addressed to Episcopalians. We are not known as people who pray at the drop of a hat with great emotion, passion, or fervor as species. Especially, we are not known for doing it extemporaneously. And if I turn to you right now and ask one of you, besides Sister Karis, if I ask one of you, will you please stand up and say a prayer for our congregation or a parishioner's specific need, X, you will probably feel a little bit uncomfortable and ask yourself, what's Mother Esgi smoking these days? <laughs> she is the priest. She is the praying sort. This may come across abnormal to you in the context of the Mass. We are prayer book people. We are used to praying prayers like the Lord's Prayer, the Hail Mary, the Gloria Patri, and the Jesus Prayer. In the back of the prayer book, there's a list of prayers for each condition we might find ourselves in. Surely one of those should suit every time we're asked to offer a prayer. But what about times we are caught off guard and speechless and we find ourselves without access to the Book of Common Prayer? Brothers and sisters, you and I both know that there are times our faith is tested to the utmost. There are times we know we are facing evil. There are times we want to give in to the despair and hopelessness that brings in the doubt, is God really here? Does God really care? How and what should I pray for? That is where St. Paul finds us in the text from Romans. He assures us, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. Isn't that a beautiful and powerful definition of where we sometimes find our human condition to be in? As Christians, there is no shame in admitting sometimes we find ourselves in a place where doubt and discouragement inflame our heart to the point of paralysis. God, what do I do now? Two things to point out here. One, the Holy Spirit that was given to us at baptism is not some sort of guardian angel that is tasked with keeping us from physical danger alone. But it keeps us from spiritual danger also. The Holy Spirit is a comforter, an advocate that prays for us when we are unable to do so. We can count on the Spirit to teach us our lesson of prayer if we come to it with trust. 
not only the Holy Spirit intercedes with groans that are too deep for words, it also teaches us the will and purpose of God by guiding us into how we ought to pray. Paul teaches us, God knows the mind of the Spirit and searches our hearts, and Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In our Christian vocation, we are truly never alone, especially in the act of prayer. Let me tell you where this never aloneness originated from. According to Paul's complex teaching, regardless of where you find yourself in the debate about destiny or predestination, God foreknew us, you and me. God foreknew his people who are made in the image of God. Prophet Jeremiah tells us a speech from God to Jeremiah that says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. He foreknew us from before we entered this world. He designed us to conform to the image of Christ, and he called us. When we answer that call with our decision to give ourselves to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ, and when we gave ourselves to his life, death, and resurrection, he justified us and granted us salvation. Then it, what, that is what it means to be saved in the sight of God and how we become a member of the household of God. We are beloved children of God who are given the Holy Spirit to remind us of this truth. When peril, war, tragedy, doubt, or death creeps into our lives, it is this foundation that will give us security and certainty. But we live in the world. There are times we are ready to throw in the towel. There are times we are hurt by the church, its leadership, and its corrupt institutions. And we can be mindful still of this unchanging truth. Church may not be on our side, but God is for us. God is on our side. God favors us. It's not the institution of the church, a broken and human organization in the habit of hurting its inhabitants. But it is God who is on our side. And if that is the case, who can be against us ultimately? If you question today, if God loves you, I ask to you for you to look at the crucifix as a form of that choice of love. It is the symbol of other self-sacrificial God who gave himself to a world that did not do anything to deserve it. Before Christ, we were given the law of Moses to observe as God's people. But law could not be kept by God's people properly, absolutely, and in the eternal sense. We see this time and time again in the Old Testament. The ways in which God's people violated this covenantal law and fractured their relationship with them. 
Now, keeping the law of God in Ten Commandments is a good and holy thing for Christian souls, internally and externally. It shows to the world we are set apart as God's people, a people with a Christian moral code. But we are given something far more important and eternal, the example of the ultimate sign of love on the cross. This love, this sacrifice, wiped our debt to God once and for all. It doesn't only grant God's forgiveness, but it is the ultimate tethering, our unbreakable bond to God. The tethering can never be fractured from this point forward. As long as we draw near to him, with penitent and humble hearts. Jesus took our humanity with him to the Father. And in the heavenly judgment seat, a throne for justice, he is both our judge and our advocate. Now, this doesn't change our broken human condition, I'm afraid. It does not change our suffering or our fear and our struggle in working out our salvation. It does not take the sting of our hurt in the earthly realm. But Paul is speaking in Romans amid many dangers, toils, and snares of his earthly ministry. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was persecuted, left hungry, without any food, and because of his witness to the spread the gospel. Yet, St. Paul clings to the promise that hardship, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword won't be able to change God's judgment, that he is one of God's elect, one of God's favored one. Paul is very aware that we are fighting a spiritual battle in this world, standing for our beliefs, spreading God's good news, and battling our own sinful nature amid this battle will be a lifelong fight. But God's eternal bond is tethered to us in the crooks of his self-giving love on the cross. It is a permanent affixing of a permanent new world order. And he writes, states, God is searching the heart. God's own life, <clears throat> love, and energy are involved in the process. The Christian soul, precisely at the point of weakness and uncertainty, of inability and struggle, becomes the place at which triune God is revealed in person. Unshakable and sovereign love of God will prevail at the end. Because spirit intercedes for God's people, calling from their own hearts with love to God and from those who thus love God, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. The purpose of Christian life is never simply that God's people in Christ should resemble him. Spectacular and glorious thought that might be. It is that as true image bearers, God's people might reflect the image into the world, bringing to creation 
the healing, the freedom, and to life for which it longs. To be conformed to the image of God and of God's Son is a dynamic, not static concept. Reflecting God into the world is a matter, however, of costly vocation. So we go about in life, struggling sometimes with doubt of whether we can be or are separated from God. Paul is saying, the Spirit's very own self intercedes within the Christian, precisely at the point where they are faced with ruin and misery of the world. When there are no words to say in the face of futility, and when there is the threat of separation from God. The state of weakness you and I have comes from the state of not being fully redeemed in our earthly coil. We can be redeemed in our heavenly coil someday, and that is our hope. Those who cannot see clearly, eagerly hope and need assistance to peer into the darkness ahead and to pray God's future in the present. It is that assistance that Spirit provides, coming alongside to help. It is the Holy Spirit today that reminds us of this eternal truth that has comforted many in the ages past. Neither death, nor life, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, indeed, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.